Hello everyone, we are back. Bye, man. Joy, Jagannath. I hope everyone who is listening to this is really safe and in the best of their health. I welcome you all to the fifth episode of Sally Hober. Let me tell you, this episode is very special to us. First, we have worked on the suggestions that you have given to us, and secondly, in this episode, we tried to create something really meaningful and helpful as well. With the sad demise of a popular actor few days before, everyone around me. right to be a mental health ambassadors for a few days though it's a very good thing that we want to help each other but before we proceed with our actions we must understand the underlying basic principles of depression and what is exactly the thing that is going on inside the head of a concerned person so we bring you this episode to talk about mental health in detail and especially with a specialist coming to my personal experience i was diagnosed with clinical depression back in 12th and it's been a roller coaster ride dealing with the darkness that resides inside me at times i would desperately want to stop everything that is going on in my mind it's like some day you wake up lazy in the morning and you don't want to go to college or office it's exactly the same thing but with life it's beyond any physical pain and all i can say is it's a very twisted form of self preservation so whoever is going through a tough time right now or something similar to this let me tell you you are not alone in this fight we are all together in this fight against darkness to overcome this we of course need a source of light in the form of knowledge knowledge to know how our brain functions what exactly happens in depression and the other things so in this episode you will find the light that you all need so without wasting any time i would like biswajit to say something on this thank you sambit so i recently read an article on hindustan times which rightly mentioned that uh, you know humanity is rarely humanity has rarely experienced such a collective sense of vulnerability a dual threat to both mind and body while the effects of covid-19 on physical health have been you know documented and it's been discussed on a regular basis the unprecedented psychosocial health effects have not you know gained the required attention so we had silly over thought why don't we take this like take this moment and talk about the mental health aspects of this situation so samal thank you sir so today's topic is a little bit sensitive to talk uh, i'll just say with these lines like people normally don't talk about it openly the refusal to openly talk about mental health has always led to the rumor that the individual who took off to cope up with that are uh, they are being labeled as weak or something like that so it's kind of a taboo to talk about it with your friends or family because they don't understand really what you are going through so with this episode we are trying to address those kind of things like how to help someone who is suffering and how we can uh, see and so in this episode we'll be addressing those kind of things like how do you support your friends or any close uh, person to cope up with these things so without much delay uh, i'd like sambit to introduce our guest of tonight and let's start sambit here you go so hello guys as said before we have got a specialist anuradha palit with us as our guest for today to talk on this issue to brief about her she is a licensed clinical psychologist who has been in this field since last 5 years she is also a life skill trainer who has worked widely in government and corporate organizations 
so i welcome her to our show so anuradha can you brief us about your journey of life till now thank you uh, sambit uh, for giving me this platform and all of you for giving me this platform to talk about mental health and spread awareness among people so thanks thanks a lot so uh, to just to give a bit of a brief about my journey particularly in this area so uh, i got exposed to this field quite early in my life because uh, my father has been in a psychologist so um, so i have been exposed in this area uh, by my father and as i grew up um, i think i also developed an inclination towards this subject because i would always be intrigued by the human mind and it's the way it works so i think after my uh, 12th exams i was very keen on taking up psychology and and i did my graduation and post graduation from calcutta and then i did my mphil in clinical psychology from institute of psychiatry which is again in calcutta so it's a two years extensive training particularly in clinical psychology and so i i did my internships in various government hospitals and have had extensive training in uh, seeing different kind of clients and also had training in therapy as well and then i think 3 years back it's been more than 3 years now that i've shifted my base to bangalore and since then i have been working here i was initially attached with the school and uh, there i used to take uh, uh, care of the mental health of the students and also i used to conduct workshops for teachers and parents uh, and i used to be a life skill trainer as well and then uh, i think uh, it's been more than one year that now i'm working as a mindfit therapist with your fit now and yeah so that's been pretty much my journey something yes this is so great and we feel proud to connect with you anuradha so going with the questionnaire that we have and we want uh, to go ahead you to answer certain specific questions related to the topic that you're going to discuss today so coming to the first question so siddharth can you ask yeah right so anuradha i'll just make it simple and let's break break uh, the topic into the small details sure, so sir. like uh, if you could like start with uh, defining the terms like anxiety depression panic attacks in the like most basic form what are the these things and like how do you define them right right so uh, basically i'll start with uh, talking about depression a bit because this is something that's been probably we are all we know about it very uh, you know uh, we talk about it very frequently so i think uh, to begin uh, with depression first we need to understand how is it different from sadness because when we talk about depression nowadays the word depression is used very colloquially so we often say that you know i'm feeling depressed i'm just you know not feeling good and we just use the term depression very frequently now the most important thing to understand here is that sadness is a normal emotion it's a normal human emotion and we all experience occasional sadness in life and we experience sadness in response to various events in life right now what happens is sadness doesn't persist for too long it is temporary in nature so after a while maybe a day or two it goes away but if sadness tends to persist for more than 2 weeks right and along with that low mood if there are other symptoms as well which is for example along with low mood symptoms can be like irritability disturbance in sleep decreased appetite decreased energy 
then the usually people have feelings of guilt they tend to blame themselves they also have a lot of negative thoughts like they they perceive themselves to be worthless they feel extremely helpless about their situation and they also perceive the future to be hopeless and along with that in severe form many people also have suicidal thoughts as well so when these things come in into the picture along with the low mood which usually persists for more than 2 weeks then only we diagnose the person having clinical depression so this this is very important for us to know that depression is not usual sadness sadness is temporary but depression isn't so it it is a it is a it, it requires a clinical diagnosis so uh, that is about depression um, about anxiety if we talk if, if we talk about anxiety again anxiety is again a very normal human emotion right we all experience anxiety i think uh, in our life because Uh, uh you know there are different situations in life when we feel anxious for example like i think we all have given interviews in our life right so yeah. before giving an interview so we do feel anxious or uh, let's say i have to uh, give a speech in front of a public so that time also we feel anxious right but the thing is here again this anxiety doesn't last longer it is temporary in nature but what happens is it becomes a disorder when this anxiety lasts longer and it starts affecting the social occupational functioning of the person right and during that time what happens is along with uh, you know when a person feels anxious they experience a lot of other symptoms as well for example if the person starts feeling restless there are uh, you know the person starts feeling uncomfortable inside the body so the person might end up feel you know uh, there is sweating there is increase in the heart rate the person experiences palpitations it's there's some sort of a butterfly in the stomach kind of a feeling right along with this the person also experiences a lot of negative thoughts and with anxiety one of the most common thought is that as if the person might not be able to manage and something bad is going to happen so during that time so naturally the person tends to avoid such situation so no longer this anxiety is basically temporary or you know it it then starts affecting the daily functioning of the person during that time we say that the person is having anxiety disorder now again when we talk about anxiety uh, i always say that anxiety is not bad because it is a survival emotion now why do i say so because if we go back and we look into the prehistoric times that you know the early men they used to have a lot of they used to face a lot of real danger in the environment right so they had to protect themselves from the wild animals now during that time if the anxiety was something that used to prepare them to protect themselves hence it is a survival emotion anxiety is usually something is an emotion which helps us to prepare the body for either a fight response or a flight response i think uh, fight and flight is something we are aware about right but what happens yeah. yes. under anxiety when the mind perceives a threat any danger immediately it sends a signal to the brain and it it tells the brain that you know that there is some danger you need to do something and during that time it it basically prepares the body to take an action now that action can be in the form of fight where we confront the situation 
or it is flight where we basically run away or avoid the situation so this this preparation of the body in order to protect the self from any sort of danger is very important but what happens in anxiety disorder is that sometimes the person perceives threat or danger in the environment when there isn't any threat actual threat or real threat during that time this anxiety turns into unreal anxiety or what we can say as imagined or perceived anxiety right and that's where it becomes pathological now you i think you also uh, asked me to probably explain a bit about panic disorder now panic disorder yeah. also comes under anxiety disorder so anxiety disorders can be of different kinds siddharth one kind of anxiety okay. disorder is panic disorder so in panic disorder what happens is a person experiences recurrent panic attack now we need to understand what do i mean by or what do we mean by panic attacks panic attacks is mm -hmm. nothing but where a person experiences you know where there are sudden periods of intense fear that come quickly and reach the peak within minutes now panic attacks usually are followed by a trigger sometimes it can also happen unexpectedly so many a times people experiencing panic attacks they often worry about when the next attack will happen right and they try to prevent any future attacks by avoiding any place or situations that are associated with the panic attack in a panic attack the typical characteristics are where you know the person's heartbeat increases the person experiences severe palpitations the per there is breathlessness which ends up making the person feel you know experience choking sensations and most important in a panic attack is the person experiences that you know the person feels that that the person is out of control right that the person experiences that he or she cannot control the situation so and that causes a lot of fear and anxiety to the person so that is what basically describes a panic attack right and when panic attacks happen repeatedly that's when we diagnose a person with panic disorder okay so okay. that is about panic disorder and which is one type of anxiety disorder yeah yes sir. so on the the follow up on this uh, answer i can say that uh, someone who feels anxiety uh, probably has been thinking of something uh, maybe a regret in the past or some future implications that he has not been able to do or something like you know we see we have seen that people falling in bad loans and all the overthink and that may lead to anxiety disorder where they feel they are out of control there's a sudden rush in the adrenaline and and also can it lead to a stroke well uh, see with anxiety what happens is as you said that anxiety can happen uh, because of multiple reasons right now if the, let's say the person has had a you know lost job or the person has experienced a layoff so naturally the person is bound to experience anxiety that okay how will i you know where how will i get a job now let's say during this covid situation there are many people who are being laid off right now it is a real anxiety people are worried about losing their job now this isn't an unreal anxiety because the situation is real it is bound to make a person feel worried now the thing is now when when the person is experiencing worry after certain point of time the person needs to take an action right so the action is that okay i need to now that i know that i have been laid off and i'm sad and i'm worried i need to take an action by trying to search for jobs now a person having anxiety disorder what happens is 
they are unable to take that action because they get trapped in that negative loop where they keep overthinking about that you know that i've lost my job and i'm never going to get a job right so what happens is they tend to catastrophize the situation people having anxiety disorder they tend to blow up the possibilities in the mind that something i will never get a job and that i you know uh, things will become way more worse than it is now so they end up you know blowing up all these possibilities in the mind and it it definitely causes a lot of anxiety and worry in them so they keep overthinking which will not be there in a person who is not suffering from anxiety disorder right now the other part that you mentioned that does it cause stroke now will not cause stroke but definitely increases the risk of having stroke in future if a person is basically suffering from anxiety disorder and it is left untreated so it it basically increases the risk factor siddharth okay so i guess uh, this is very perfectly explained by anuradha so since we have got to know the basic terms let's understand why does it happen as you know it can be from a situation which can put you down or some biological factors which can create the chemical and also the hormonal imbalances so anuradha can you have a deep analysis of the reasons of depressions sure so um to start with if we try to understand any mental health condition whether it is depression or anxiety or any other disorder right we there is a particular way how we can understand it as in why does it happen so there is this but particular perspective called the biopsychosocial theory what is a biopsychosocial theory the biopsychosocial theory basically talks about the fact that that biological factors psychological factors and social factors together basically contribute into any mental health condition so when we talk about so if if we talk about depression so i'll start with explaining the biological perspective now when we talk about biological perspective basically we are talking about family history genes or let's say as in the genetic loading the geni general med- medical conditions or drugs right now in depression what happens is the biological reasons for depression is that there are certain chemical messengers in the brain which we call the neurotransmitters right now in depression specifically it has been found that serotonin dopamine norepinephrine or noradrenaline these are the three main neurotransmitters that have been found to have you know these are the three neurotransmitters where we find an imbalance when a person is suffering from depression now i will just tell you a bit or tell all of you a bit of a brief about this so serotonin is one kind of neurotransmitter which basically you know helps uh, you know it basically helps us to fall asleep it has a role to play in eating managing our aggress- aggressive behavior sexual behavior and also plays a significant role in controlling our mood similarly dopamine is another very important uh, neurotransmitter in depression particularly which basically controls our reward seeking behavior so it gives us a sense of pleasure dopamine and the third neurotransmitter that i spoke about is norepinephrine or noradrenaline so norepinephrine or noradrenaline basically helps our body to recognize and respond to any stressful situation so it, so i so it, it's very common that you know when 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 there is an imbalance in any of these three neurotransmitters in the brain it is likely that the person is going to experience depression these are one of the so this is uh, the biological perspective 
of depression that why people usually experience depression and what happens what are the changes that happens in neurotransmitters in the brain coming to a psychological perspective right now in psychological perspectives certain things uh, we we talk about under psychological factors a the personality pattern or the personality type of the person is very important what kind of coping styles the person usually has the third is let's say the thinking style we all have a unique style of thinking right so this style of thinking is another aspect which comes under psychological factors and the other is cognitive appraisal how do we evaluate and or assess any situation or event these are the psychological factors which basically you know increases the vulnerability of a person uh, to experience any mental health condition in future so i'll explain quite a few here for example the style of thinking now in depression what happens is people with depression usually have a very pessimistic style of thinking so they have a lot of negative thought now what happens is in depression particularly that these negative thoughts uh, you know are mostly revolves around three important themes one of the main negative thought in depression is that where the person believes that the person is inadequate so most of the people who suffer from depression one of the main negative thought or belief about themselves is i am inadequate from which basically the person ends up feeling worthless the second kind of a belief is that where the person perceives the future to be completely hopeless and the other thing is that the person experiences that the situation is something where the person experiences a lot of helplessness so worthless hopeless and helpless are the three probably themes that are very very dominant in a person who is suffering from depression now when if the style of thinking is negative right what happens is whenever something happens the tendency of the person will be to misinterpret the situation in a negative way and naturally what happens is they probably end up seeing things in a much more worse way right so they possibly see things much more worse than they really are because of this negative style of thinking so that is one that so style of thinking i think is something that very much contributes into how we probably you know perceive a situation the other thing as i was talking about is the cognitive appraisal now what do i mean by cognitive appraisal cognitive appraisal is basically how we evaluate and assess any particular event or situation right so whenever we experience any situation we make a meaning out of that situation right we interpret the situation now when we interpret the situation the, the we can either interpret the situation in a negative way or a positive way depending upon our interpretation of the situation we will accordingly experience the emotion for example let's say uh, this this evaluation or appraisal can be of two types one is primary evaluation or appraisal and the second is secondary evaluation or appraisal i'll explain both primary evaluation or primary appraisal is nothing but subjective evaluation of the situation right how the situation is actually secondary evaluation is nothing but my evaluation or evaluation of my ability to cope with that situation i'll give a small example here 
for example uh, let's say i have gone for a job interview and and i'm waiting in the lobby to for my name to be called now suddenly i notice that uh, you know people are all dressed properly and suddenly i start noticing that i am dressed very sloppily in comparison to the rest of the people and immediately i start thinking that you know others are dressed so well and i i think i am not dressed properly and that might have an impact on my interview right so what is happening this is my evaluation of the situation that others are dressed properly but and i am dressed i'm not dressed properly i'm dressed sloppily and that might affect my interview process now when a person enters into the interview process with this kind of a frame of mind naturally it starts hampering the interview process because that thought constantly is there at the back of my mind that how is the you know how are the interviewers perceiving me so that is the evaluation of the situation the, and this is the primary evaluation that we usually do the second type of evaluation in this example is the evaluation of one's ability to cope with the situation now if i feel that i am sloppily dressed and i think i can't manage this right and i completely believe this and i feel that okay i think you know my my interview is just screwed up so naturally that also further adds on to the anxiety or you know the emotion so appraisal of the situation also plays a significant role in any of the disorder whether it is depression or anxiety the last thing social factors and i think that's where as you mentioned the situational factors come in so under social factors things which happen is pro- probably let's say uh, things like you know how is the living situation of the person what's the financial condition of the person most important is what kind of support system the person has which is very very important in depression so if there less so for example situations like if the person has experienced a loss of job or there has been a breakup in relationship right or death of a loved one or any kind of trauma right can increase you know social vulnerability of a person to experience depression later so i think all these three factors you know cumulatively have an uh, you know contribution into the development of depression yeah thanks anuradha so i recently read an article on hindustan times like it mentioned one uh, survey conducted by nimans and it was mentioned that nearly 150 million uh, indians need active like medical health support and only less than like 30 million people are seeking the support so i wanted to ask you about the seriousness of the issue also why there is very less talk about it if we take the example of covid 19 let's say hmm. so there is there is there are a lot of talks about like how how do we secure ourselves physically but there hmm. is very very less discussion on how do we secure ourselves mentally so can you throw some light on this i think that's a very valid question because uh, you know what happens is <clears throat> we forget one thing that we forget is that that the mind and the body is related right now we yeah. all know that when it is the body we are very very aware about that you know how to take care of the body with exercise and you know with proper diet so that we are not being fat and things like that but when it comes to the mind we hardly take care of it one of the reason is that you know the issues with the mind right is something that we can't see it can only be felt right so naturally that is one thing the other thing is that people are you know yes there are there are increasing awareness about mental health you know currently but still we i think we have a long way to go 
there is a lot of stigma associated with mental health issues still now Correct. for example you know if, let's say take the example of covid 19 so somebody comes and tells me that you know that i'm really worried about losing my job right and i tell the mm-hmm. person that you know you, you you shouldn't be worried you have such a good job and you're you're doing so fine why are you worrying right so what i'm doing is i'm immediately invalidating the person right i'm not listening to the person i'm not you know giving that space to the person to really vent out i am immediately telling the person don't worry right usually when a person says that you know i'm sad we immediately uh, go there and try to give advice that you know do this do that why are you feeling sad you need to be happy right now if you see you know uh, all of you that there is a lot of uh, focus to be happy if you look around there is constantly there is i feel that there is a competition we are all running behind to be happy so there is a lot of stress on positivity think positively feel positive right <clears throat> do positive things but the thing is i understand as a mental health professional that it is important to be happy but somewhere in this constant you know where we are constantly emphasizing people to be happy somewhere we are downplaying the importance of the you know of the negative emotions which are very much there and it is very normal you know just like happiness feeling sad feeling anxious or feeling worried are just very common the way we feel happy but if there is a constant pressure to be happy immediately when we feel sad or when we feel worried we immediately question we doubt ourselves i think there's something wrong about it, right and we immediately think that okay why am i worried why am i having so many negative thoughts why am i feeling sad i should not be feeling sad immediately what we do is we try to distract ourselves right and now the thing is any emotion particularly unpleasant emotions whether it is sadness or worry or anxiety if it is halfway processed that emotion usually comes up again and again and it is an indication that maybe i have not listened to my emotions usually i usually tell you know my clients and everyone that every emotion has a message for us they are not emotional messages but they are emotion message so if i'm feeling sad can i really allow myself to feel sad can i acknowledge that yes i am feeling sad because something might have been might have happened right something might have happened which has really made me upset and maybe my sadness is telling me that maybe i need to reach out and talk to a person so it is very important that whenever someone is coming to us to talk about anything unpleasant whether they tell us that you know i'm feeling sad i'm feeling worried rather than immediately giving the person advice that you know you should not feel like this and you need to be happy you need to be strong you need to allow the person to share and ventilate right because that where the stigma will probably you know uh, uh, be nullified because many a times we ask the you know we have this thing that probably uh, you know you should try more you know i think if you should try more you will be able to come out of this but we need to understand one thing that mental health condition it is not about trying trying doesn't you know it's it's not about that i will try and i can be i can be happy suddenly if a person is depressed there are a lot of other factors and the person doesn't deliberately do it right so when we are Obviously. making yeah so when we are saying such things we have to be a bit 
cautious about it because we are telling the person that you know you need to take control of something about which they are out of control it is not in their control so i think we have to be a bit more sensitive when people come to us and we need to educate ourselves it's all about changing the attitude towards mental health yes uh, i guess very uh, well explained by anuradha on the seriousness of this issue that um, to summarize just to say that opposite values are complementary if there is happiness there is bound to have sadness the fact is that we need to accept it and deal with it in a matured way and yes of course this issue seems to be um, really serious to understand the situation in depth let's understand how the hormones come into play and as in the previous question anuradha has explained briefly about the three most popular hormones the neurotransmitters the serotonin the dopamine and the norepinephrine so can you explain me how do the imbalance of these three majorly uh, play a important role in in the mental state of us right so see serotonin and dopamine are two neurotransmitters these are the chemical messengers in the brain hormone are the chemical messengers in the body right and they basically travel through the blood stream now what happens is typically whenever we whenever we experience any stressful situation right what immediately happens is or any stressful situation or a threatening situation immediately the brain uh, is signaled that there is something dangerous or threatening there or stressful there and you need to do something about it now in order to do something about uh, the situation our body needs to prepare now in order to prepare the body what happens is uh, there is this adrenal gland that is there inside the body right so immediately the brain triggers the adrenal gland and the adrenal gland immediately secrete uh, you know secretes the norepinephrine or the uh, noradrenaline so basically norepinephrine or noradrenaline is called hormone as well as they are both hormones and neurotransmitters so when we experience any kind of stress or any any threatening situation the adrenal glands are basically activated and they secrete norepinephrine or the noradrenaline now what happens the noradrenaline now what happens is uh when this basically is released the noradrenaline gets released in the blood stream it basically it gives fuel to the body and the body basically gets prepared to fight or flight right now what happens is if a person has a tendency or has a proneness to experience anxiety repeatedly what happens is uh, there is this hormone called stress hormone right now what when when a person repeatedly experiences anxiety the the stress hormone which is usually called the cortisol it remains in the blood level for a long time so cortisol is a stress hormone which does get released when we experience stress right and this hormone is important to basically fight with the situation it helps to reduce the stress level but if a person who is experiencing anxiety repeatedly the cortisol tends to remain in the blood stream for a longer time and that's when it starts damaging the you know body so increased amount of cortisol you know has been found to be uh, there in people suffering from anxiety and high levels of you know uh, yeah high levels of cortisol basically another important thing is i think as i mentioned that um, usually uh, um, if we know that there are two kinds of hormones in women one is estrogen and progesterone 
Now, usually what happens is uh, before, let's say, uh, you know, before menstruation, usually women in women, what happens is the estrogen level falls down, particularly after the ovulation. So the estrogen level falls down and the progesterone level goes up. Now, estrogen level, estrogen is a hormone which basically regulates, has a significant role to play in our mood. And so does the progesterone level. But just before the menstruation and after the ovulation, what happens is these two hormones, there is an imbalance in, the, in these two hormones. And due to which, usually women experience uh, physical symptoms like bloating, headaches, and emotional symptoms like they experience low mood and irritability. And this exactly is commonly known as premenstrual syndrome, right? PMS that we often, you know, we, that's how we know it. Now, what happens is basically now when PMS can turn into premenstrual dysphoric disorder. So basically severe forms of PMS is termed as premenstrual dysphoric disorder, where it has been found that three to nine percent of women experiences premenstrual dysphoric disorder, right? During which, and in particularly during, if it is PMDD, right, if it is premenstrual dysphoric disorder, the person is no longer, the women no longer experiences simply low mood, right? It leads to depression, along with the other symptoms that I have already mentioned. So in PMDD, the, the emotional symptoms basically overshadow the physical symptoms. And during that time, it is very important to reach out and seek help from a mental health professional. So that's very important. So these two hormones also again play a very significant role in our, you know, mental health. Even in men, testosterone is the hormone in men. And it has been research is showing that low levels of testosterone is associated with low mood, irritability, and poor concentration. And it's it's being found that, you know, with age, usually testosterone levels decrease in men. So these these symptoms can also be found in older men. So, so basically, I think that's how hormones does have a significant role to play in, uh, you know, different mental health conditions. So now that we understood how it happens and how the hormones are responsible for it, uh, let's just drive into another lane. Like, how do we deal with it, right? So usually people who are close to a particular person don't even realize that the person is going through a tough time or is going through a depression, right? We yeah. think everything is going good, but it might not. Yeah. So my question is like, uh, how do we know? Like, what are the signs of depression? And often, like, we sometimes figure out that a person is going through depression, right? Sometimes we figure it out, but then we don't know the steps to take further. Like, we keep yeah. on asking them what's the problem, ask them to open up and share what's bothering them. But that might also go otherwise, right? A lot of times. So instead of helping, we uh, sometimes make it worse for them. So mm. my question would be, uh, like, what are the signs of depression? And if we figure out that someone is going through depression, then what should we do and what should we not do? Like, what not to do to trigger a person suffering from depression and what exactly uh, we should do as a friend? Right. So uh, particularly, I think, uh, as I was talking about, you know, initially about depression, that the major symptoms of depression is where a person experiences low mood for minimum of weeks, along with low mood or sadness, and it is persistent. It's not that, you know, I, I experience sadness for one day and then it's just gone. 
so it is consistent it is continuing it is not temporary and usually this this low moon persists for minimum of two weeks right along with this uh, low mood certain other significant symptoms which will help us to know that the person is suffering from depression is a loss of interest in previous pleasurable activities you will gradually find people suffering from depression to withdraw socially they will stop interacting with people they will probably no longer engage in any activities which they used to enjoy previously let's say i used to really enjoy watching tv or playing badminton a person suffering will probably stop engaging in such activities because it no longer gives them the pleasure that they used to get once that is another very important marker in depression right the next thing is the person's sleep gets affected appetite gets affected there is a lot of fatigue in the in the person so the person many many people suffering from depression they find it extremely hard to come out of the bed right many times we tell the person that you know wake up in the try to wake up in the morning just just engage in a bit of a jogging but the thing is it is really difficult for them to come out of the bed right another important uh, marker is that usually people suffering from depression experiences a lot of guilt you know guilt and you know they, they experience a lot of guilt and they and they blame themselves right so that is another important marker in depression and they also have a lot of concentration difficulties they are unable to concentrate in their work and they blame themselves they feel worthless they often often you know you might come across people suffering from depression they they say that you know that they are inadequate they can't manage right there's nothing good happening in their life everything seems to be very dull and hopeless right so you will find a lot of hopelessness as if the person has lost hope and meaning in life that is very very important usually when people people suffering from depression in their conversation you will you can get traces of this where the person talks about that they no longer feel you know find any meaning in life they have lost the meaning now usually depression has various levels too depending upon the intensity of the symptoms so there can be mild moderate and severe forms of depression usually suicidal thoughts are found in moderate to severe levels of depression and often along with that often suicidal you know attempts so it starts with suicidal thought where the person feels like bringing an end to their life and finally they end up probably believing that life is no longer worth living and they attempt suicide right now something about suicide that i would since we are talking about it i would like to say that you know many times you know we become very uh, judgmental or we just say that you know suicide is a is a someone who attempts suicide is a coward or it is not okay it's a selfish act on the part of the person but something i think we all need to know that a person nobody like wants to kill himself or herself right a person in suicidal thoughts or attempting suicide is an indication that the person probably experiences that there is no other option left in the person's life right so it is a human response where the person experiences that there is no other option left and the only option left is to kill the kill self which will bring an end to the immense pain the debilitating pain that they are experiencing right so i think these are the major symptoms in depression that you know that we can basically see in people now as you mentioned uh, i think that you know how will we identify it now these are the probable symptoms now 
few other markers for friends and family members to identify is that usually people suffering from depression they usually stop socially withdrawing so if you find your friend who has been otherwise you know used to be a happy go lucky person or used to even probably even if not very outgoing but used to take part participate you know in conversations you suddenly find the person withdrawing you know stops stops interacting stops participating in any kind of activities or conversations right tends to avoid your calls and you suddenly see this change this is one marker where you might think that okay there must be something wrong with this person right the second is when you also see that the person is probably suddenly talking about life and death right you never probably have found your friend talking about death life meaning right meaninglessness in life things like that another important marker in depression is particularly in moderate to severe forms of depression when the person starts let's say you know giving away things or writing letters or distributing the responsibilities it is one of the indications right that the person is suffering from depression i think what was the second question uh, uh, the second question was like uh, what not to do to trigger a person suffering from depression like what should we do so that we not, uh, don't make it worse right right uh, particularly in that part uh, you know what not to do uh, or what not to a person who is suffering from depression or any mental health uh, condition particularly few things that we need to avoid saying to a person is that you know uh, for example we often end up saying that you know it's all in your head and nothing will happen right just just snap out of it now when mm-hmm. we make such comments that you know it's all in your head we are basically you know trivializing the emotional symptoms right that the person has along with the physical symptoms so the person might end up saying that you know i feel tired i don't feel like doing anything i just feel like sleeping right but the thing is now if we just say that you know you just try to do exercise and you know try to come out of it snap out of it we are basically missing that point that the basically the person is experiencing emotional symptoms and when we say it is a kind of a dismissive statement right so people suffering from mental health condition any kind of mental health condition whether it is depression anxiety or anything it is not really easy for a person to snap out of it as we say because there isn't any switch that we will just you know click and the person will come out of it it takes time for a person to really recover right from the mental health condition that's one thing so we really have to be very cautious about the kind of words or what we are telling the person exactly. the other thing is yeah so the other thing is uh, probably you know when we end up saying that you know that you know when i had depression last year and and for few days and and i just you know i i just tried to feel positive spoke to people and i was okay now you might have you know we might have experienced mood swings in the past now it is okay to share but important thing is that mood swings is not equivalent to having a mental illness right so if if someone is really telling you that you know they are experiencing sadness or they are not feeling good if we just say that you know it's normal uh, and it is okay you know even i had uh, you know felt like this previously that basically we are saying that it is normal whatever you are feeling and it is it is you don't have to seek any treatment or help because it is normal right okay. so we can definitely share our uh, you know our journey or struggle but later another important thing is probably as i already uh, discussed about it 
telling the person to be positive constantly mm -hmm. right that is something i think i already explained that why it is not okay to constantly tell the person to be positive because when you yeah. see the person that you need to be positive the person gets a message that whatever i'm feeling is bad and i'm not supposed to feel this way right so that's where the person doesn't acknowledge that sadness is an emotion and it is okay at times to not feel okay and it is okay to talk about it got it yeah mm -hmm. yes i guess that's a, a quite a meticulous as well as a brave answer from your side anuradha so since we have understood this let's go ahead to understand the treatment of this vast problem of course medications are there yet vast studies have proved that medications along with mindfulness meditations the most popularly used therapy optimize the healing process as we know and also there are counseling physical activities that you can do and taking therapy sessions they really do help so anuradha can you throw some light on the available treatment process on a broad perspective as well as along the side how much does financially the cost like uh, there is a precursor thing in our mind like if i go ahead for a counseling session or a therapy how much does it going to uh, uh, cost me so that you know our listeners can understand and be comfortable with it right right so uh, i think with the treatment part we first need to understand because initially when i when we started the discussion i think i explained about the bio, biopsychosocial theory right that if we try we, we need to understand any mental health condition we need to understand that it has a biological contribution psychological contribution and the social contribution now with biological factors that is something that can't be uh, probably uh, you know addressed through therapy or counseling if there is a biological uh, you know role there then medication is very very important right so medication does play a significant role to address the biological factors that's one thing now there are now for depression there are antidepressants for anxiety there are different kinds of anti anxiety that they that are present right many times what happens is i do understand that people are afraid right that they don't want to take medication because they feel that they will become dependent on it right that they will not be able to function without medication in future now i do understand that that concern is very valid but i also would like to tell all of you out there is that as i said that there are levels of uh, you know like as i said that there are levels of depression as in there is mild moderate here usually in mild depression medication is not much required but in moderate to severe levels we do you know request clients to go and seek psychiatric consultation because if we do not take uh, medication right in such cases then only coming going for therapy will not be helpful because the chemical imbalance that has happened in the brain that is something that only medication take control of right so medication does play a very significant role in any mental health condition coming to the other forms of treatment yes mindfulness you know is something that has been extremely found to be very helpful in in, in anxiety in depression right that's something that's that's people are talking about and there there are innumerable studies on mindfulness the other kind of treatment i think a uh, physical exercise or any kind of exercise is very important in uh, relieving depression or anxiety is because there is a scientific reason because you engage in exercise right basically what happens is it it releases some happy hormones inside the body right and that is very that is basically which uplifts the mood 
so that's why usually in anxiety or in uh, depression we uh, request clients to engage in some sort of simple exercises to begin with right because when we start engaging in some sort of physical activity it starts inducing because there are changes in the body happening internally and it releases hormones right which are responsible to make us feel happy feel good so when we start gradually start exercising bit by bit now i do understand initially it is very difficult for a person to even start doing such things you know engaging in exercise but if we try initially you know taking small steps at a time it will you will be able to see that there are gradual changes in the mood so physical exercise then mindfulness then medication have an important role to play coming to therapy or counseling right now it is very important that as i said that there are psychological factors social factors of as well right so the style of thinking how we interpret a situation as i said about style of thinking the pessimistic style of thinking right so many people are prone to view things always in a negative view they have a tendency to catastrophize the situation right so let's say i have you know i have failed an exam and from there i come to this conclusion that no matter whichever exam i give in future i will always fail right so neither am i i'm catastrophizing the situation but i'm also over generalizing right without much data now this is a style of thinking maybe i have had and and this is and this is where therapy comes in because therapy here really helps to address where the problem has started why how it has started right why is there a style of why the person has developed a pessimistic style of thinking and how to unlearn any unhelpful or maladaptive behavior right so in therapy we try to help the person to identify what is the source of the problem where is the source and try to identify what are the unhelpful or maladaptive learning patterns that the person has had in order to deal with you know any kind of difficult situations and in in therapy we gradually help the person to unlearn those maladaptive learning patterns and substitute them with more healthier patterns of behavior so that's how probably so i, I think i've explained very briefly what basically what we do in therapy right yeah. so that's yeah. how that's where therapy comes in and helps to you know helps the person to restructure their style of thinking restructure their way of perceiving the world perceiving themselves which naturally then helps in you know which brings in a difference in the way they experience emotions so one rather i wanted to know that uh, recently have you noticed anything common in your clients like uh, obviously it's a very like subjective issue but have you noticed any patterns it can be like gender generation specific or any region specific yes yes so one of the thing i think that's a very good question uh, you know one of the things that i have identified you know in the young population particularly between the age range age range of 20 to 30 particularly between 20 to 25 or 28 let's say right one of the thing that i have found in this population right is that they have you know they tend to uh compare themselves a lot with others right if there is a small failure or they failed to achieve something which they had expected from themselves right immediately they experience you know low mood they 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 perceive themselves to be completely they they view themselves to be as failures right and they feel that their career and their future is doomed right and now i have also now when i further explore i have 
usually found a pattern a pattern as in one of the important uh, you know factor which makes them feel very low about themselves or very less about themselves is that comparison right usually i have often found people comparing themselves with others usually they compare themselves with the contemporaries and they say that okay you know my friend has been promoted right both of us were were studying in the same college we had the same degree but you know he or she has been promoted and look at me where am i right immediately we start devaluing and belittling ourselves so comparison and research is also saying that comparison is one of the process which always makes a person feel less than it can never make a person feel motivated right so comparison always highlights the fact what i don't have so naturally if i constantly if this is something that's constantly been highlighted what i don't have naturally i will feel bad and naturally i will always feel that i'm lagging behind and i need to compete with the other person so comparison is something that i have found tremendously like in most of the people that they engage in which results in low self esteem low low self confidence which is also found significantly in people suffering from depression right and just to add one thing there that you know comparison is something which is not only very instinctual in people we all compare right right but if we are not very aware about you know how does comparison you know affect us and if we are not very mindful about the fact that if we get into the trap of comparison it can you know really make us feel extremely bad about ourselves and comparison has often been found to be uh, you know coming from childhood because comparison is something that we all learned right when we were born we never learned to compare ourselves right but the thing is the kind of experiences that any person has particularly in their childhood has a significant role to play in the way the person you know starts viewing themselves starts viewing the world around them and the people around them so if a child has constantly been criticized or blamed for his or her failure right so let's say for example a child comes in you know with the report card and shows me and where i found that you know maybe in maths the child has scored poorly now immediately let's say i ask the child what's the highest marks in the class right we even ask that as parents right now i do understand it's the parents do not have a wrong intention they really want to motivate their child but it is very important as parents to understand what are we communicating to the child the more the moment i ask the child who has what's the highest marks in the class who has got what marks we are giving a message to the child that i'm more interested in knowing the highest marks the second thing is when i tell the child that how can you get such low marks in maths right you know i have given so many good tutors and you know you are going to such a good school right you know i think that's very bad and we start blaming and criticizing the child now when we do that what we are actually telling the child is that failure is bad and you are not and you are not allowed to get low marks you should always come out with flying colors and you should always be successful so what happens is rather than basically by this we are trying to let the, tell the child that you need to work hard but rather than saying that i understand you are sad and you are not happy about your marks right in maths let me know how can i help you can we sit together and try to see what might have gone wrong 
rather than this approach we end up saying the child you know we criticize the child and blame the child for securing less marks in one of the subjects now when we do that repeatedly to a child the child gets a message that failure is bad right and that the child is not supposed to fail now when now I, something that i probably missed saying previously is that that the brain works on the on you know on the basis of forming associations so i associate that failure is bad because that's what have been told to me that's how people have responded to me when i fail so the person grows up with this belief in the mind that failure is bad and i should always be successful and based on that belief a person ends up having certain you know guiding principle one of the principle can be that you know i need to always work hard i should always be successful because only when i when i will be successful people will like me so imagine a person constantly trying to work hard and constantly trying to be successful now i'm not saying that being ambitious is bad or that you should not you know aim higher but if it is loaded with this constant pressure to always be successful which is humanly not possible right it is not possible to always be successful so if that is the belief that is there in my mind that i can't afford to fail imagine the amount of pressure that the person experiences and on top of that if i have been compared as a child with my siblings or with my friends by my teacher or by my parents then the person also you know learns this approach as well that in order to evaluate myself where i stand right i always need to look at others i need to use someone as a benchmark of success so that's that's a very important thing that you know is something that needs to be be aware of yes anuradha so very uh, perfectly put up uh, the question of bishwajit uh, now we want to come with a important question uh so we have come across people and popularly portrayed especially in movies that you know depressed person become habituated with alcohol and cigarettes slowly people become addicted to the sedative effects of these substances so anuradha how does these intoxications affect our brain and hamper the depressed person right so i think um now with the intoxication part so what happens is that when a person engages in smoking right so when a person engages in smoking we all know that there is a substance called nicotine in tobacco right now what happens is when a person engages in smoking repeatedly the nicotine level in the blood stream rises and nicotine is a substance which basically triggers the reward centers in the brain which releases dopamine as i told you know earlier dopamine is one type of neurotransmitter it gives pleasure it is associated with reward seeking behavior so when we experience any sort of pleasure dopamine is being released in the brain right so naturally when nicotine is a substance which triggers dopamine release in the brain so when a person engages in smoking it basically makes the person really feel good right so naturally the brain starts associating nicotine with feeling good as i told that brain usually works on association that's how the association forms between nicotine and uh, feeling good and once this happens so when when a person let's say you know when the person becomes addicted to smoking and and wants to stop smoking what happens is when the person stops smoking there are the there there is less nicotine in the blood stream right but what has happened is because of continued use 
there is a certain amount of nicotine that is there in the bloodstream and my body has become habituated to have that level of nicotine naturally when i'm not smoking the nicotine level drops in the bloodstream and naturally so there so the pleasure response is completely cut off and this causes a lot of withdrawal symptoms right as we know it causes more craving for cigarette it causes anxiety it causes depression it causes irritability frustration increases and also anger outbursts is there in the person now something to reflect on is that you know many people engage in smoking now we need to identify what is the purpose of the person smoking here some people smoke occasionally some people smoke just when they are with friends right social social smoker but let's say many a times people also smoke when they are feeling very upset or they are stressed about something why people engage in smoking is because when they are stressed as i said that when they smoke the nicotine triggers dopamine release in the brain right and naturally it it helps to reduce the anxiety it makes us feel good that is why you know people when when this happens the person basically there is a message that goes to the brain that see when you when when you smoke you felt good right so next time when you are stressed the person will feel more prone to engage in smoking because pre last time when he or she felt stressed smoking helped him to feel better right so the so basically you know the brain receptors become conditioned to expect nicotine in certain situations so when in in the next time when i'm stressed the brain will give me a signal that you know you need to smoke because previously when you smoke you felt better so we again end up smoking and that's how we end up smoking repeatedly and that's how the habit gets formed right but what happens is the issue basically is not resolved smoking or this or cigarette smoking you know doesn't help much in depression it only gives temporary relief but it is not a permanent solution similarly when we talk about alcohol intoxication right it in researches showing that people usually use alcohol to self medicate the symptoms of depression now i'll tell you tell you how alcohol is basically a a depressant right as we all know it is a depressant and it has sedative effect right so when we consume alcohol it helps us to distract ourselves from the persistent feelings of sadness right so it reduces anxiety and lowers the inhibitions level but what happens in the, and hence when a person is feeling depressed they end up you know they are more prone to use alcohol in a way to manage their sadness but what happens in the long run is now when the person ends up taking alcohol repeatedly again there are chances of addiction and when that happens we all know that if a person who is suffering from alcohol addiction it also has a lot of impacts on various aspects of life like let's say the career is uh, you know hampered financial aspect of the person financial uh, part of the person also gets hampered now all these things also further worsens the depressive symptoms which in turn again makes the person more prone to abuse alcohol so if you see it's a vicious cycle right so in alcohol in intoxication yeah. although is giving temporary relief but it worsens the situation right it induces it worsens the depressive symptoms which the person doesn't understand in the long run so intoxication whether it is alcohol and particularly smoke doesn't give any you know solution or you know the damage is more if the 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 person does experience temporary relief
but the damage is more in the long run uh, yes i guess uh, so anuradha i guess we have almost completed uh, the all the questions that uh, we had for you so on anything that you think we have missed uh, asking you as a certain important question that we should have asked or anything that you have missed while answering them and right so i think uh, i i did probably miss answering one question which i now realize i think the financial part i think the the part right so where you guys asked me that you know uh, what is it like you know what's the cost i think that was one of the questions right yes yes right so see the thing is uh, when when it comes to the cost right yes i do understand that see physical health we get insurance right but mental health in india is probably you know doesn't come under you know insurance and things like that right which is there in the western countries but the thing is in it is important to understand that you know it is it is not that it is very expensive now it 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 differs it does differ from clinic to clinic right but it is more or less there are clinics which offer uh you know therapy where it is per session is less than 1000 right in some clinics it is more than 1000 now it is a choice of it is a choice of the person whichever is convenient and you know affordable for the person the person can go along and get help but i would i would always say that you know it's very important to seek help and you know reach out to mental health professionals because the the more we don't take care of our mental health right it will also start affecting the body so we think that only oh, no, you know we spend a lot of money on, in our on our physical health right we do i think we all most of us you know after a certain age we go for the health checkup right full body health checkup we do that right now we are very much well aware of you know if we don't do that there will be future complications similarly therapy or you know talking to a mental health professional is equally important now i i, I always say that it is not Uh, you know you don't have to have a clinical diagnosis to talk to any mental health professional it is not that only if you have clinical depression or if you have clinical anxiety that you need to seek help it is okay even if you are not having a good day and you are not able to manage certain things in life you are not able to balance it is absolutely fine to talk to someone right it is talk to a mental health professional because a mental health professional knows how to basically help you navigate in that difficult time you can always reach out to your friends and family but if you feel that after a certain point of time you are not getting the right kind of help a mental health professional is the one whom you should go to because therapy is not about just giving advices it is not about giving opinions right so there are different ways there is a lot of process that goes into therapy and i feel it is very important for i think it's important for all of us once in a while we should go and you know explore selves and know about us and things like that in therapy that does help a lot so i guess um we are done with all our questions and answering session and we would thank you anuradha for joining us as highly over anything you want to as on the appreciation note or anything would feel would be grateful to hear something about us sure sure so i think uh, you know i uh, i was looking for this kind of a platform and and then this happened right i'm really you know thankful to all three of you right for giving me this opportunity and platform to talk about mental health and to spread the awareness and impart some of the you know share some of the knowledge or information that i have with all of you and i think the questions that you guys framed have been very very apt right i i think that it covered most of the things uh, like that there are a lot uh, to discuss about but i think in this such short span of time 
I think the questions were very appropriate and to the point. So once again, I would really like to thank all of you for you know giving me this opportunity. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to have you, Anuradha. Thank you. Okay, Sambita, as you know, we took some of the questions as a part of social media survey from our listeners. So from those questions, I want to ask you first that uh, uh, someone had asked, "Ki how do we stay away from toxic people?" So can you can you just answer this like from your experience? Okay. um it's a very complicated thing but the understanding it is very simple because to be honest we all have toxic qualities among us everyone that you see we all have bad qualities normally what happens is when two persons meet initially they tend to show their best part uh, but slowly when they become closer and closer they tend to show their bad habits negative vibes and those toxic qualities so there is nothing called as a you know perfect relationship whatever relationship you want between those two persons what i want to emphasize here is that since we all have the toxic qualities it does not matter how much toxic quality that person has it matters are we ready to deal with those toxic qualities of that person because it means that if you are ready to deal with the toxic qualities of the person it means that that person um, means a lot to us and those toxic qualities of that person is not bothering us and we can live in a harmony together because similarly the other person might be tolerating our toxic qualities it's all in the acceptance and why i want to emphasize in realizing this because you want to stick together to that person or you want to go out uh, move out of the kind of relationship that you have with the person so both the things require an action and action comes from a realization so the sooner you realize that are you ready to accept the toxicity of the person then you you are going to take the required action accordingly but the moment you realize that yes the toxicity is going beyond par which you cannot take it which you cannot tolerate the things are not meant for you then it's better to walk away but you have to be very sure of it are you ready or are you not i guess that's my point of view thank you sambita i guess that answers the questions perfectly so yeah coming back to the next question someone asked uh, if it's morally correct to blame someone for their unavailability during a time of crisis so how do you answer okay. that uh, so it seems like you know there can be a lot of interpretations to this question suppose uh, there is a inavailability of a person um, we have to look into different uh, aspects of it like why the person is unavailable at that point of your crisis there can be two things you know first the person is uh, like you know really busy in something he had genuine reasons to not to be there so in that scenario i would suggest you that you know don't find faults behind others mistake because you don't know what the person is going through the other part of the story you don't know so if it has not been intentional then i guess of course um, you don't have to find a fault in their mistakes but the other part when you realize that the person is not available at the point of your crisis knowingly it is intentional so it means that that person's priorities are different to be there with you in your point of your crisis is not on the priority list of that person so the person chose to avoid it and walk away so by accepting the person's point of view that you know that person's thinking is that you do not matter so much because from that point of view of acceptance you 
can take further steps from your side instead of pondering over what the person actually said or what the person reacted to me or how he reacted so it all comes to the realization after you know what the truth has been you have to know whether it was intentional or unintentional because everyone's time perspective is different the way of dealing things is different so you have to take into look into it and if you realize it's intentional then you have to stop expecting because uh, expectations in the end as we know always leads us to hurt ourselves so once you realize that the person priority is different so stop expecting from that person and you find your own way out that's it from my side absolutely sambit that's that's actually a very practical answer that we can find for these questions thank you so much mm-hmm. so yes we have almost come to the end of this discussion and i hope this discussion has been insightful to those who have listened this far anyone from our listeners list who want to consult professional help um, i am attaching uh, anuradha palits uh, the specialist in our the guest in our source uh, her email id in the description which is priyanka kolkata 2012@gmail.com you will be finding it in the description so you can reach out to her for further consultation and it would uh, really be helpful so that's what from our side and uh, so i hope this discussion finds a solution for you to deal with your insecurities and vulnerabilities and you come out from them flourishingly bring a lot of smile to this world so at the end i would like to say that yes again stay tuned and stay high so bhai mane jay jagannath namaskar jai hind